Hello and welcome to the Power and Motor Yacht Podcast. My name is Shane and I'm here to bring you a story I'm particularly excited about. If boats could talk, I'm sure there'd be quite a few with some interesting stories to tell, but there wouldn't be many you'd find with a tale quite as amazing as one 80-year-old Danish fishing boat by the name of Thor. Find out why this boat has become a thing of legend and the newest feature of the Florida Holocaust Museum in this week's episode of the Power and Motor Yacht Podcast. This is one episode you won't want to miss. For this story, I had the pleasure of interviewing Aaron Blankenship, the deputy director of the Florida Holocaust Museum, who really put a lot of the legwork into finding Thor and really digging into the backstory behind this boat and just bringing to life this legend of, of what it was able to accomplish and what that means for humanity. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. So Thor comes from Denmark, and the story of Danish Jews or, or Jews living in Denmark during World War II is different than any other country in Europe because they saved almost their entire population, their entire Jewish population, and it was the neighbors, it was a ground-level operation. It didn't come from the government down. These were just everyday folks that did the right thing. Denmark was a little bit different than other countries that the Nazis occupied. They saw it kind of as like their model country. You know, they're, uh, if you know Scandinavian people, a lot of Scandinavian people are blonde hair, blue eyed, tall. And uh, they allowed the Danish government to still govern while the Nazis had occupied that country, um, which was unlike any other place in Europe. Every other place in Europe, you know, Governments went into exile or, you know, all of their immediate anti-Jewish measures went into place. But in Denmark, um, that didn't happen because the government was allowed to keep control. They Jews in Denmark never had to wear a Star of David. There were there were no ghettos in Denmark. There were no um, there was no segregation for the Jewish community in Denmark, all because they allowed their government to stay in place. But unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I should say, there was a Danish resistance that they were doing acts of sabotage. They they were really kind of giving the Nazis a little bit of trouble. And for that reason, in 1943, the summer of 1943, the Nazis decided that they were not they would take control of that of that country and not and not let the government continue to um, stay in control. And so it was that fall that they decided that they were going to finally round up all of the Jews and, and deport them. Mm-hmm. And a German diplomat, um, his last name was Duckworth, I think, um, heard that this was going to happen. And he warned members of the community. And um, so members of the non-Jewish community um, decided that they would hide Jews in their homes, in their in their backyard, you know, in the forest behind their homes. Jew, Jews were hiding. Um, they were hiding in churches. You know, they were hiding all over the community. Um, so they, they decided they would hide them. And they decided um, with the fishermen's help, because it is a fishing, um, the coast, you know, that's a very big industry um, or was um, along that coast that is closest to Sweden. And um, all of these everyday fishermen decided that they would bring Jews from the coast of Denmark to the coast of Sweden, which was neutral. And arrangements were made, of course, with the Swedish government to accept them. Um, and on the, the side of the Jewish people, this hap- the, they were going to do a roundup on 
one of the most major Jewish holidays. And so, it, it, you know, I think that uh, that was very strategic on the Nazis' part because they thought, you know, all the Jews would be home observing this holiday and it would be easier. Right. Which holiday was it? But um, it was Rosh Hashanah, okay. which is the Jewish New Year. Um, and, uh, but the thing is, is also, um, Jews go to, to temple Mm -hmm. on this holiday. And, um, so from the pulpit, the, uh, you know, there are lots of Jewish people who might not attend service every week, but they attend on high holidays. And so they attended and, um, they were warned, go, you know, go to your neighbors, hide, hide in the forests and then make your way to the, to the water. And there will be boats to take you. So that's exactly how it happened. There was a small group of Jewish uh, people that were arrested. You know, they were found out and arrested and taken to Theresienstadt, which was in um, Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic today. But most of those people survived as well because basically the Danish Red Cross was able to kind of check up on them. But but it's a it's quite an unusual story when we think about the history of the Holocaust. Yeah, I'll say. I was you know, looking at you know what what had been posted about it, and uh, there was mention about you know the way that the Jews were were snuck on the boats, and it was it was mentioning that they were uh, below deck. Is there any details you can give me about how that process um, happened? Yeah, so at least the fishing boats that I have seen, you know, all they are they are different. Lots of them are different. Mm-hmm. You know, the below deck is where they would. Um, and sometimes they were live wells. Sometimes they, they were just holds for different types of freight. So um, it, it, a lot of cases, the Jews were hiding underneath and then they would put like a layer of fish over them. So it would mask the smell because, you know, Nazis did have dogs. They were patrolling the waters. So that's what happened, that they would go under. And, you know, it wasn't until it was safe that they were. Um, brought out and then brought to the coast, whether it was by a little dinghy or, or you know, sometimes the Swedes, Swedes would row out to them or vice versa. So, yeah, and, and, you know, every case is a little bit different depending on where they left from. But that that is a story that we've heard lots from different survivors that they went, you know, underneath in the holds so that they wouldn't be caught, of course. And, and the fishermen were just, you know, their thing was that they were fishing. They were out fishing, so that was their, you know, kind of cover, I guess. Yeah, and, and was there any details um, in any of these accounts that we've heard where, you know, they mention, you know, how many Jews are, are being taken under uh, under deck at once, how many people are making it across at once, you know, what that process was like, a little bit, a little bit more details to it? Yeah, so, I mean, every boat was different. So, mm-hmm. for example, Thor, we only know of one because, because the sun knew. Mm-hmm. Um, of one trip that this particular boat made and that it, it brought a family of four across to Sweden from the town of Ku, which is K-O with a little cross through it, G-E. So there's some boats that only made it across once and only brought a few people or brought up to 15, depending on the size of the boat or more. It just depended on, on who was going. And of course, there were some boats that did and some fishermen that that made multiple trips. This took place over the course of a, just a few weeks, so some so some fishermen um, did make mul- multiple trips. Right. Do we have any accounts of how Nazi Germany reacted? You know, to, to this because I'm sure they, they come in for their plan to take hold of people, right, and, and to and to you know bring them to camps, whatever they were going to do. Um, but it, I mean, it sounds like yeah, ninety percent were gone. Was was there any kind of 
um, account of the of of how that happened when they actually came in? Um, of what do you mean when they actually came in? When when the when the Germans came in on Rosh Hashanah, expecting that they were going to gather up um, the Danish oh, Jews. Oh 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 oh! I actually haven't heard anything from that side. You know, our stories are coming from the people, the fishermen, or from. Mm-hmm. At least the, in my research, but I'm sure there are some testimonials of rescuers that that um, do know. And you know, there were a few boats that were intercepted. Um, and you know, you have a case of like the church in Gilalaya, where there was a hundred or so Jews being hidden in the attic, and somebody, someone, um, informed on them, and they were all arrested mm. and deported. So you know, they they definitely still follow through with the, you know, with those they could arrest, but, you know, because of pressure from the government and they did um, have more leniency, I guess is the word I would say, mm-hmm. with the Danish prisoners at Theresienstadt. They were never deported to Auschwitz, which was mostly, you know, usually if someone from any other place was um, transported to Theresienstadt. It was often a place where people stopped before they were deported to Auschwitz and murdered. Mm. We have Holocaust survivors here um, that, well, they're no longer living, but that that was their story. You know, like one person, they, they were deported to Auschwitz from Theresienstadt and her father was murdered and her mother died as, as a result of mm. um, disease from the camp. So, As far as, as Thor goes, um, do we know much about its about its journey after, you know, it's, it's served as this, this fishing vessel and this, you know, life-saving oh, yeah. uh, vessel. Where, where did it go from there? So it, it was used as a fishing boat all the way up until the eighties, the Olson family who owned it, Eric Olson was the rescuer. That was the fisherman who brought the four people to Sweden. Um, he still used it as part of his fleet and then gave it to his son, bought it, bought the business from him in the seventies, I believe. And, um, it was it was used up until the eighties for eel fishing. That's why it's named Thor because the, you need a hammer to do the nets for eel fishing, and um, that's why it's named Thor. Oh, interesting. And so then it, it was used for fishing up till the eighties, and and then was it kind of just out of the water since then? And when yeah, did it become no, something it that you guys picked up? No, it was still in the up? water. Mm-hmm. When we when we found it and um, brought it to the U.S., we brought it out of the water. Okay. So it was in the um, Klaus Olson, the son of Eric Olson, had sold it to a boat broker who was also the child of, of uh, rescuers. His name was Ben Ferdinandson, and he, um, the, he he was the harbor master also at, um, and he is rather, I should say, Ben Ferdinandson at um, the harbor at Gilalai. And so he, the, the boat was brought there in the water was still in the harbor when we found it and um you know we hired people to go and get it out of the water put it on a tr- truck then put it on a freight freighter and then sailed across the ocean to the u.s you know what's so interesting to me is thinking about you know this boat was such a monumental example right and piece of history as far especially as far as like the brighter side of humanity what we can do right if we're, sure. if we're proactive if we help each other if we do the right thing was this a legend that this boat had that people were conscious of, or was it kind of just doing its thing and people realized, oh wait, this is one of those boats. Let's let's take no, it. No, not at all. 
Um, the, Eric Olson, from my, from what I understand, Klaus told me that Eric Olson kept it a secret. He didn't even tell his wife that he did this. Wow. Uh, because he he was worried that his wife would say something to you know a member of the family and it to get out. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, so yeah, no, uh, he didn't tell anybody until or at least. Uh, other than the people involved, he was asked to take these four people across um, to Sweden by a member of the the resistance. And um, other people, you know, there are other fishermen whose participation was known, but it wasn't talked about during the war. It was only after the war when people were kind of recognizing the fact that this happened Mm -hmm. that um, people were talking about it. And not really. I mean, Holocaust survivors and rescuers didn't really talk about their experiences, you know, for decades after the Holocaust. So, yeah, nobody knew um, the story, really, other than Klaus and um, his father. So, yeah. And the other, you know, the people in the resistance that he was involved with. Wow. So when did the story finally get made known and and Thor become, you know, an item that that was wanted to be, you know, to be displayed? Yeah. So um, let's see. In the, I guess it was, yeah, January of 22, um, Irene Weiss and I decided that we would like kind of put full force behind trying to find a rescue boat for the museum. Mm -hmm. And then we weren't having very much luck and we recruited um, another woman named Margot Benstock. Both Irene and Margot um, are children of Holocaust survivors who were saved as part of the rescue. And um, Margot grew up. Irene left Denmark when she was 11, but Margot grew up there and still has friends that lives there. And so she called her friend and said, hey, do you know where we can find a boat? And uh, so this friend, you know, didn't think anything of it really, but she was in Gilalaya one day, so she thought she'd go to the harbor. And um, she asked the harbor master there, and that was how we found out about it. (laughs) So he... um, Mr. Ferdinandson um, had all of the materials from Eric Olson, which was like his original bill of sale from August of 1943, his boat log from 44, which is the year after the rescue. But that's, you know, not stamped by the Nazis officials that were at that point governing um, and other materials from Eric Olson. And so we asked for the um, contact information of Klaus and did some more research and then spoke to Klaus and so on. And, and um, that's how we, how we learned the history of the boat. Oh, that's awesome. And so you kind of just took it from there and. Yeah. And, and here yeah. Once we confirmed that it was used in, in the Holocaust, we proceeded to, you know, on the acquisition of it. And then of course, moving it, which took place in August of, of 22. Mm. Is how when did, we how got, did you we, transport it? Um, it came by a, a freight boat. I don't know what you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we um, had a cradle made for it. They, they hoisted it out of the water, put it on the cradle. And by truck, it was brought to a, you know, a bigger boat and from a different port and there um, to the U S to Miami and then trucked from Miami to our offsite storage facility. Cool. And how's it been so far, the reception of, of having Thor there? Oh, the, I mean, I think the community really loves the story. It's been overwhelmingly positive. And we are um, we're making plans now um, for the ability to bring it into the museum. You know, we need to make some some actual physical changes to 
the building and the exhibit space to to accommodate it. But that's what we're working on right now. Oh, interesting. And and we're also going through. We're working with um, a conservator, a team of conservators, who've already come to do an assessment. We're doing some some intermediary things with adding some supports to the boat and removing some additional weight that isn't needed for when we do the exhibit. And then the, the conservators will come back and do the bigger mitigation. Hmm, interesting. And so, and so what will the um, kind of restructurings that'll be done to, to support it? The boat will actually be in, inside indoors in the, in the museum? Yes, yeah. So we, we plan on uh, um, integrating it into our permanent exhibition, which is a history of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And as of right now, um, the plan is to create a, a pit in the ground so it can be lowered to water level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, otherwise people wouldn't be able to see the deck. It is quite big. Um, and, you know, we have to make some other modifications to the building just to get it in the building, let alone um, to get a proper, you know, pathway and and um, other changes to the exhibit to accommodate it. And as far as the exhibit, will will people be able to see the the bottom deck? No, they're so they'll be able to see the top of the deck. Mm-hmm. The hold, I mean, the whole the the space where people would go to get into the hold is small. It's only like you can only you you know one person at a time could go down in there, and it you know it's not at all possible. That sounds, uh, but it does sound very. Um... Yeah, very exciting. When when will the uh, exhibit plan to be open? I think right now we're being told by the construction company um, that this fall we'll be moving the boat into the museum. Um, I think that might, to to me, that seems too good to be true. But we'll see. That's what the experts say. <laughs> yeah. What's what's their condition like right now? Is it is it got a lot of work that needs to be done for refurbishment, or is is it going to be kind of as is? Yeah. Well. We're not going to restore it, but we are going to conserve it, which means we basically it's a basic uh, cleanup and stabilization mm-hmm. job. So it still has a lot of organic material on it. Um, that all needs to be cleaned off. We need to, there's a few places where there's some wood rot that needs to be um, stopped. And what else? It has, um, we're going to be removing the motor and the winch from it because they're not original. Um and just some general cleaning. It does need a lot of cleanup because it's, you know, it's been in the ocean for 80 some odd years. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we need to do so, a lot of cleanup. There's, you know, there's also, you know, bilge and stuff on inside near the motor where the motor is. So um, we have to clean up all of that. Oh, here comes the fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm not doing it, so that's good. Other yeah. people in hazmat <laughs> will be doing yeah, are you are you going to be um, one of the um, staff that will be able to inform people about it? Is that going? Is there going to be someone there to talk about it? I'm, I'm assuming you guys will have like signs and and things and things to read. Oh yes, it, so we're going to integrate it into the exhibit. So we'll have you know photographs and um, we'll probably use testimony from Klaus in the exhibit as well as um, some testimony from our second generation. These the two ladies I mentioned. Mm-hmm. We have a few artifacts related to the boat, like um, that ship's log and the original bill of sale, along with a photo of Eric Eric Olson because he was the rescuer and that was his boat. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be telling the story in full and within the greater context of the Danish rescue as a whole. Oh, wonderful.
Well, this is a, a lot of information and, and, and uh, very helpful in understanding the significance, significance of what happened and also, you know, Thor's role. So very thankful, Aaron, uh, for sharing for us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Devo